Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. We're coming to you live from the Education USA Forum in Washington, D.C. That's right, it's back after two years, three years of, um, of not meeting in person since 2019. We're back here at the Forum. So we're going to be taking a little walk around and discussing some of the highlights from the meeting today over the last two days that have been happening uh, with international education and uh, with the Education USA team, all the REACTs that are here, uh, 50 plus advisors are here, uh, 350 or so US college and university representatives, association reps, English language programs, they're all here at the forum this week. Uh, it started yesterday in the middle of it today. Uh, we're highlighting uh, today amongst the uh, kind of the feature, regular features of the forum, uh, there will be the Global Showcase uh, later this afternoon where all the advisors as well as members of the D.C. Embassy community uh, will, be at, will be at tables in the, the main ballroom here. Uh, we're just uh, in finishing lunch up for the day after three, uh, four, three sessions this morning. Uh, one more session this afternoon before we uh, break to, uh, for the Global Showcase. What I've noticed so far, uh, this has been... Uh, a continuing trend I've seen certainly uh, with uh, international education over the last uh, last few months as conferences have gotten back in session. There's been a couple of neat additions here at the, at the EDUSA Forum. Uh, I think they had something like this last time, but they certainly had a version of this at NAFSA at their at their booth. Uh, it's got a, a kind of your make do your own selfie kind of a project here. So yeah tap on the screen you've got your circle light uh, that you always uh, that you those who have been doing remote sessions and certainly know about take a shot uh, you can have there's a frame that you can do posting yourself uh, study in the USA uh, with education USA so uh, it's some really nice uh, Aaron help, good to see you there hope all things everything's well with you in Kansas uh, we're having a great uh, conference so far uh, one of the themes I wanted to touch on uh, that uh, for those who get the newsletter, and again, we uh, we do our newsletter every Monday, comes out. It's called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. And uh, that goes out to all our uh, subscribers uh, through either through our website or via LinkedIn. We've got over 800 subscribers currently receiving that newsletter every Monday. So if you're not already subscribed, certainly encourage you to do so. Uh, that newsletter featured this week uh, some stories about um, defining parts about the United States that have real value for international audiences. One of those was uh, the uh, story up front on the percentage of uh, billion-dollar startups that uh, currently are led by students, uh, former international students who are uh, studied at U.S. institutions uh, that are now their CEOs. So pr providing uh, some real hard, fast data and Obviously, great examples that uh, colleges and universities should use uh, to help promote uh, studying in the United States. And I think one of the shifts I'm seeing, and we've, we've, you, if for those who attended the Virtual Education USA Forum last year, that's when the uh, joint statement on international education was released. Uh, this was the first uh, real positive statement from uh, the federal government since uh, I think it was April 2020. Uh, when uh, initiative that under uh, the Clinton administration led by Al Gore, Vice President Gore, uh, led to the creation of International Education Week, which has become such a mainstay on college and university campuses in November every year around the release of Open Doors. But one of the other things that uh, this 
this this conference is certainly alluded to, and you might not be able to see it uh, on the screen here, but there was just a session right before lunch on uh, this joint statement on international education one year on. And the panel included uh, all the four main, uh, main uh, signatories or participants, uh, interagencies, uh, within the federal government that were part of that initial joint statement, which was initially issued by, uh, in a joint, joint videos from uh, Department of State uh, with Secretary of State Blinken and Department of Education with Secretary Mendoza. Uh, both of them uh, kind of started the game, uh, ball rolling, and then you had Department of Homeland Security, Department of Commerce that uh, joined in as well. And what's happened in the year since, there hasn't been a lot, frankly, that we've seen um, come out of that, uh, at least publicly. Uh, there hasn't been a lot that's been done. Uh, from the session, we, we learned today that it's been primarily uh, the interagency collaboration and kind of defining roles, and uh, which still aren't very clear, frankly, even after today's discussion. But you, you, you think about why, um, why students are, are want to come and study in the United States. There are, realistically, a, a ton of hurdles that still exist. I had the opportunity to ask the panel in that, uh, in that session. Uh, that's uh, great that the, that the statement is out there, but uh, what's, um, uh, what about things that are, uh, they'd each uh, said what they're doing individually. And there, hasn't, there wasn't really a lot said in terms of what, this is a product of our interagency cooperation. That wasn't a part of their discussions. And frankly, I'm not surprised by that. That's the nature of, uh, frankly, federal government, that even when they're, they set up and say that they're collaborating, uh, the evidence of that is, is, isn't often too, too widely known, or at least publicized. And that's part of our, our, our challenge as a, as a country. We don't really jointly coordinate what we're doing internationally on a recruitment. They have different missions, frankly, the different departments. Uh, we have uh, Department of Commerce that has a very um, business-focused, money-focused uh, export uh, is the language that they use. And language, as one of my colleagues, Clay Hensley, pointed out, now he's on his own call right now, but uh, one of uh, the points he made was that the, this, um, that the, the, the different departments have their own individual mission statements and when it relates to international education public diplomacy is the driving force of why state does what it does uh, you hear have heard in the past why uh, foreign students come to the united states because foreign students today world leaders tomorrow and they rely on uh, statistics that show that 33 percent of world late world leaders today studied at some point in the united states and that's great data and that certainly fits their public diplomacy mission because they want students to come here, study here, go home and become leaders in their home country and then have positive, have had positive experiences here. And then they share those with uh, their countrymen and leads to favorable policies uh, toward the United States from those countries. And I get that, that's totally uh, above board and I buy into that 125%. But what we see happening is um, now with this joint statement and individual agencies kind of doing their own thing toward a common goal loosely defined common goal that is outlined in those principles we don't see a lot of what's going on and that's you know when you don't know what's going on you you assume things and that you know how dangerous that is uh, and what that leads to but you, you see realities popping up and uh, the question I asked was one of the points of the question I asked I had three different questions but one of the points of the question I asked was what um, 
what are the individual things that the different departments are doing are great, but they are not game changers. Uh, they, they acknowledge that we're in a globally competitive market and that, uh, that the UK, Canada, Australia are doing uh, much different and much more coordinated actions and have policies that are much more favorable to international students than we have in the United States, and they recognize that. But it's out of, outside their bailiwick to really affect that kind of change. That's uh, legislative change that's going to need to need to be impacted or initiated to really make uh, make a significant difference. And the question I didn't get to ask during the session, I asked uh, individually afterwards, is, well, what uh, what is the re what's the end result here? Uh, what's the goal? Is there going to be a unified joint policy, international education policy, or a strategic plan for international education? And uh, the answer was, we don't know yet. Uh, the Department of Commerce, one of the uh, uh, one of the Rep. Gabrielle Zelaya from uh, from uh, U.S. Commercial Service, she made very clear that uh, they have just released uh, for the first time an international export strategy, national international export strategy that includes a, a strong uh, elements of education in it. And uh, but education is viewed in com commercial services terms as a commodity as an export commodity in a, in a strictly dollars and cents kind of way, which uh, from, for many international educators that often time gets our hackles up and because it's um, monetizing everything that we do and that's a harsh reality of, of life on campus, but that shouldn't be a mo motivation and certainly should be, shouldn't be how we're promoting the U.S. to overseas students. Uh, that's certainly an internal value that perhaps we're getting from uh, we're, uh, that we're, we're realizing why we do what we do uh, in, in the U.S. Uh, and certainly universities, there are many universities that will look at it as a bottom line uh, ex exercise, not a cultural uh, expansion and uh, helping our educate our international students on what's going on, uh, our domestic students on what's going on in, uh, in the world by bringing international students from all over the world. So there's a lot of dichotomies uh, that we see developing with this joint strategy and one of the permutations was, well, does this mean that uh, uh, because of our strength as a, as a country, because we're so individualized, we're decentralized on many levels that there doesn't need to be an international ed strategy? And I would say, let's not go down that road because that's, that's basically what we've been doing the last uh, 30, 40 years in terms of international education. We've never had anything close to this. And this is an opportunity, frankly, if we're ever going to get a national strategy for international education, it has to start with this joint statement. And that's what the hope was, I think, coming out of that last year. And whether we get to a point where we actually have a national strategy and what would be needed to make that happen, I think there's a, there's a lot of pieces of this puzzle that haven't been th thought through yet, or certainly publicly haven't been acknowledged as this is something we need to be doing. And uh, statements to that effect are, are kind of few and far between in this session. Uh, one of the outcomes of, uh, of that statement last year was they need to be doing more to, together. They're, they have regular interagency meetings. We don't really know the, uh, the outcomes of those because nothing's final until it's final type of thing. But each of the individual departments uh, made their case for what, what they're doing and there's some neat things coming out of education with, in terms of workforce development and career and technical education promotion with other countries and using uh, that as a, a model to help bridge, uh, bridge the gaps that exist. Uh, but uh, there are players that are missing from the table. Uh, 
and Department of Labor would be one of those because the one of the end goals of the current immigration system for international students that want to stay and work long term is uh, H-1B processing, which is a Department of Labor piece, uh, and that's. Uh, and in addition to the regulatory hurdles that exist and that would need legislation to change in terms of having uh, F1 students or the F1 visa category be considered dual intent instead of non-immigrant. And that's, we know, and it was, anyone who's been in international admissions for more than a minute realizes that's one of the most significant hurdles to international students coming to the United States. So uh, until the kind of game changer pieces happen and uh, that uh, dual intent piece for F1 students that would have to be legislatively passed by Congress until that happens, we're, we're not on par with our, our competitors in terms of Canada, Australia, UK. Uh, UK has in instituted this work visa, um, two-year two work visa, post-grad post or post-study work visa. Uh, that certainly is uh, a clearer path. We have the paths in the United States, but because of the way we categorize students, we're at a competitive disadvantage. Uh, with our non-immigrant students having to prove at age 18, if they're coming as an undergraduate, prove that they know, they know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And that includes um, knowing when they're done with their degree, what their plan is, and that they're planning to come home. Because if they say that they're planning to stay in the United States, get a green card eventually, that's violating the 214B principle. There you are showing immigrant intent and even though it's legally possible for them once they're in the United States to do their OPT to get a company to sponsor them for H-1B they can't say that when they're applying for their visa and that's the fundamental disconnect that's happening between policy and reality in terms of promoting our country as a destination for international students. But uh, do want to give some props to uh, ECA and Ed Education USA uh, they've started a new podcast, so not a competitor podcast. I actually listen to it myself, the Edge podcast, uh, talking about guidance, leadership, and expertise uh, on the international ed side. So we have um, folks at our team at IAE that are part of that discussion, are, are regular helping to produce that podcast. So uh, my one of my old employers, I'm very happy to say that they are uh, actively engaged in helping to educate the higher ed community uh, on certain aspects of of what's happening in, in federal government and leadership around uh, immigration issues. So there's a lot going on. Uh, we, um, I, I mentioned at the top that this is uh, one of the focuses of this session is on uh, why the United States and why the U.S. is um, a, and should be and will continue to be uh, a, a, a leading destination for for uh, for international students. And I will say. Uh, that what, what, I, what I have seen during, this, during the conference and this last session on the joint statement was um, made, made it a little bit strange in terms of the way language is being used. I already alluded to that with regard to uh, why, um, there's, why that the missions of education, commerce, DHS, uh, and state are very different. Uh, and in terms of how they talk about international education, and if ever a time would come, should should come where there's common language being used around international education related to a joint statement, you would hope it would be on this very topic. So what we're seeing happen is commerce is uh, talking about it from a funding financial perspective, uh, states talking about it from a diplomatic uh, public diplomacy point of view. Uh, you have um, DHS talking about it from a security point of view and regulation point of view. 
and then you have uh, education that's talking about it from um, from an internal kind of diversity point of view, which is, I think, in line with a lot of what international educators believe. But in terms of how it's being promoted, there's the working across purposes in a lot of ways. You have um, commerce's uh, commerce department has led this charge over the last couple of years, actually since the last NAFSA in 2019 that was in person before this year, uh, our USA is our USA a study destination that initially was uh, kind of an alignment of all the state uh, consortia around the country, the now 30, 35 different state organizations that exist. Uh, and you see um, that language that they're using with the Commerce Department. They have this USA study destinations now become an, an external student-focused uh, global marketing campaign to help promote the U.S. as a destination. I love the thought, and that, yeah, that needs to be happening. Uh, it's, it's focusing on the individual states where these consortia exist. Uh, what uh, is, is uh, missing is uh, really a sense of that cooperation amongst the agencies. Uh, there's, uh, they oftentimes aren't invited, at, to, they may be invited to the same, same events, but they're playing secondary roles. State at, uh, at commerce events and commerce at state events. So you see, you see a, lot of, uh, a lot of language that's being used in these, in these promotions like it's USA a study destination. Why aren't we promoting ourselves as the study destination? Uh, there's uh, language that they're also using about uh, one of, uh, as, yeah, the, promoting the US as a, an option, not the option, the premier study destination instead of a premier study destination. So there's a lot going on in terms of how language is used that I think is making the attempts to do a coordinated national policy on international education much more of a pipe dream, I think, in terms of concrete results. I don't think the reality is right now that uh, until there are some of these game changer outcomes we're gonna, that are part of a larger policy that are, is top-down led, because right now it's, there's interagency meetings but no one's really taken the lead. Uh, and it's not clear from, and uh, certainly not clear what the end goal is yet, uh, whether there should be a policy or not, that there's, they're, they're not committing to that. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a bit of a worry. And, and certainly in the end, it would mean nothing really changes other than each, each department is, has their own policies that are strictly, specifically international ed related. What we don't see happening is um, really any change to, to uh, government policy because uh, it's individual departments that have that do represent the federal government in a lot of ways but the actual changes to uh, what international educators would need is, is something that isn't going to happen through these through this group until there's top-down leadership and does that mean having an international ed czar at the cabinet level to make this happen like you have an immigration czar you have uh, or border controls are that vice president uh, Harris was supposed to be uh, taking on um, you have other things that uh, raise to the level of national importance and get that kind of exposure. If that ever were to happen, I think you'd see a lot more focus on it, and I think that's part of it. We don't see a lot happening, and as international educators, we tend to be impatient bunches. Uh, but we've, we learn over the years that, uh, and certainly those who have been in the business more than a minute, we know it takes time to affect the kind of change that we need. And a lot of what we're talking about will, be, will require legislative change. I mentioned making F1 a dual intent status. I mentioned um, 
uh, the uh, green cards for STEM PhD students uh, automatically getting them when, upon graduation. I asked the question about, okay, the changes in, in the way we teach in the United States and around the world, but certainly on college campuses, the pandemic has accelerated a lot of uh, moves of how courses are delivered to more online uh, than, and less in person. And what does that mean when we return to a, a pre-pandemic normal, if that ever will exist? I don't think it will, but uh, in terms of regulations, we've had the extension of the regulation of the um, temporary uh, limit on the number of classes that uh, students can take, international students can take online, uh, that they've been able to take a full semester if they were already in the U.S. before they started, they can take a full semester online. Uh, they, students that came into the United States need, need to be, after the pandemic started, they need to be enrolled in at least one in-person class. Uh, that's been the rule, but th how long is that going to last? Uh, the reality is our colleges have changed the way we instruct students. Uh, larger lecture classes are going away and maybe gone forever in terms of in-person. Uh, many colleges offered those only online during the pandemic and are continuing that. Uh, once now that the pandemic and full and in-person operations are possible. So it's a, really an interesting dichotomy in terms of what's going on uh, with, uh, with the talk around international education and promoting it, the U.S. as a, as a destination uh, globally. Uh, I don't think we have our uh, collective acts together yet. As amongst uh, government agencies, uh, they're they're talking always, but uh, are they uh, are the results coming at the speed that we would like in the field? No, because uh, a lot of the, a lot of them are a lot of what we need to see change is outside their control, and that's that's the uh, frustrating part. And certainly, it's not a new new part of what we do, but certainly, uh, I do want to give them credit uh, in the end. Uh, Commerce, state. Uh, DHS and uh, education around the same table uh, promoting similar messages uh, on, on what they've been doing since July last year uh, to announce uh, plans for, uh, for greater uh, international education visibility within their portfolios. And so that's, that's been encouraging to see that, but um, uh, we, don't, we don't really have concrete results yet that are game-changing results. And I think that's what we're Many in the profession were a little bit skeptical when that was first announced, but maybe now we're a little bit more realistic and it will take time to see the kind of change that we really need, but it will require advocacy. It will require institutions, institutional um, organizations, membership organizations that many of our, uh, many, many of those are already on, have their legislative affairs and advocacy groups uh, pushing for some of the things I was, I was talking about earlier, but um, it does require some top-down support that frankly isn't there yet. The idea for a, a joint statement was, it was great, but we never really saw uh, cabinet level, White House level support for it other than yes, we endorse this. So it'd be interesting to see what happens next. And certainly this, uh, this week has certainly allowed, and, uh, allowed us to reflect um, on where we've come since the pandemic and uh, the many miles we have to go before uh, we can be satisfied that we're we're back on track and we're where we need to be as a country. But there's some uh, just some great stories coming out of this in terms of what individual institutions have been able to do, what education is being able to do. We saw a great video that was announced, uh, released on uh, lunch yesterday uh, after the um, uh, opening plenary uh, that was uh, of association leaders. Uh, so that video is one of many that uh, uh, my friends at IIE are helping to coordinate with an outside marketing agency that will serve as uh, State Department's uh, global campaign uh, to promote the USA as a study destination, but or 
part of the, their efforts to contribute to the, the statement on joint statement on international education. So many miles to go before we sleep, but positive steps, but certainly uh, not the level of coordination and, and frankly, um, cooperation and advocacy from from the top level down at the White House uh, to show that uh, we're actually moving in the right direction and having an international ed policy at the national level. So don't expect anything soon on that front, but certainly uh, plenty of us who've been in the field for a while, as well as new folks uh, that are coming here for the first time. We're seeing a lot of new folks at the forum this week, uh, probably I would say at least half, which matches what we saw at uh, International ACAC in July um, and also at NAFSA where 40% were new. Uh, so that was uh, first-timers. Um, we're seeing, the ch frankly, it's a reflection of the changing nature of our field, how we've had uh, more and more um, senior leadership in international education leave their positions in the past uh, few months, past two years. And now it's uh, a matter of uh, just meeting up, meeting the challenges with a whole new generation of uh, talented folks who are eager to learn and get plugged in. So we'll see what happens with that. but. That's all we have for you today, live from the EdUSA Forum in Washington, D.C. Thanks again for joining, and we'll be in touch soon. Cheers.